You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Well, uh, one of our oldest traditions in the United States of America at this time of year is hating Christmas. Yeah, the Puritans uh, who landed at Plymouth Rock, uh, they hated Christmas. Hated it. Then that was actually because they were extremely religious Christians, which is always surprising to folks. And so I'm quoting a historian named Rachel Schnepper when she says uh, that for the Puritans, Christmas Day was um, at best superstitious and at worst heretical. And their hatred of the day went all the way back to England. Uh, in 1647, uh, during the Revolution, when they overtook the government, one of the major reforms, one of the sweeping kind of demands of the Puritans was canceling Christmas. Canceling it. Stores were forcibly opened. Churches were forcibly closed. Ministers were arrested for attempting to celebrate the day. When Puritans came over to the United States of America, unlike the first Thanksgiving, the first Christmas they celebrated by protesting it. So I think this is hilarious, by the way. In New England, in the dead of winter, when it is below zero outside and no one nearby could see the protest who would actually be offended by it, these people went out into the fields with their children and worked, even though nothing would grow. Just as a sign of how much they hated Christmas. In Massachusetts, you could be fined five shillings for attempting to be jolly on that day. Uh, in Plymouth Rock, actually, the governor at one point yelled in the streets at visitors from England who had dared to play games on Christmas. It wasn't until 1870 in the United States of America that this was a nationally recognized holiday. And up until then, men and women went to work, stores were closed, stores were opened, and churches were closed. They hated Christmas. And it was, it was because, actually, of all of the joy and the merriment and the, the parties and the feasting and the, the hosting and the generosity and the celebrating and the, the dancing and the games and the free time and the leisure and the, the fun. That was why they hated it, because those things are, you know, wasteful and idle and sinful. I think it is safe to say that the Puritans missed it. They missed the point of Christmas. If you can follow Jesus and become less fun, if you can follow Jesus and be more angry, if you can follow Jesus and be more anxious or frustrated or exhausted, if you can do that, then it's a decent possibility that you are not following Jesus. Now, you and I, who all feel a little bit smarter than the Puritans at this moment, we know that enjoying Christmas is absolutely what everyone should do. So why is it that we work so hard this time of year? Why is it that most of the time, the truth is you couldn't tell the difference between us and people who hated Christmas? That's what we're going to talk about today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, verse 38 is where we're going to be. A non-traditional Christmas passage. Jesus is very much an adult at this point. Luke 10, 38. All right. Now, as they went on their way, he, Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let's pray really quickly. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help us to understand today. I pray that you would speak loud and clear to us and that we would hear your voice, me most of all, that you would breathe these words off the page into our lives the same way you breathe them onto the page. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So at the end of the story, we're left kind of wondering, did Martha miss it? And you don't really know. But not for nothing. The next passage, the one that comes right after this in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. I think Mary and Martha were probably around for that, listening to what it really looks like to spend time with God, what it looks like to enjoy being in his presence. And that's really, I think, what Christmas is all about, which is why we're in this season that we're always calling Advent, but why we're in a series that we're calling Simple. Because Christmas should be simple. It often isn't, but it should be simple. And this year, we're going to be helped along by a cultural reality of a global pandemic. So it's going to be simpler because it has to be. You can't go to as many places. You can't do as many things. Many of us are working from home, and our kids aren't going to school, and that's kind of the way that that is. But it probably shouldn't take a global pandemic for us to simplify our lives. Probably shouldn't take that. And next year, of course, we won't have the luxury of COVID. And the year after that, we probably won't as well. And we might, if we were looking for it, see that there's a blessing in the emptiness that it creates in our lives. A space that maybe if we were looking for it, God could fill. Because this time of year, typically, we are frazzled. I'm not saying anybody is right now. But we're a little harassed or harried or just rushed and racing because there's a lot of presents to buy and a lot of things to wrap. And we've got to get them to a lot of places and a lot of places to go to and a lot of places that we have to kind of leave from. And we have to get a lot of people into our houses. And we have to just, your hair's in your face. And you're starting to feel sweaty and anxious and overwhelmed. And all of a sudden, it's just, oh, my God. And finally, Christmas. Whew, it's over. And for some people, when you get to Christmas, one of the best things about it is I don't have to do it anymore. For a whole nother year, we don't have to go shopping. We don't have to have people into our house. We don't, we, it's, it's finally done. And it seems like when that's our reaction to Christmas, maybe we're missing it. Martha in this story misses it because she's so busy. Now, I want to be real clear. We all have a little bit of Martha in us, and that's not a bad thing. Martha does a lot of good at the very beginning of the story. It is the Marthas of the world that get stuff done. Verse 38, Jesus and some people are walking through town, probably his disciples, walking through town. And the way it works in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't have like a hotel to stay in. There's not a best Western in the ancient world. That's not an option for him. So when he's going to town, if no one hosts him, they're sleeping outside. Like that's what's going to happen. And Martha sees these people and immediately, instinctively is generous, serves them, invites them into her house. Come over, stay with me. I'll cook. We'll make a place. There'll be a warm fire. You are welcome in our house. It is the Marthas of the world that get stuff done. It is the Marthas of the world that get us to school on time. It is the Marthas of the world that make sure that people have clothes without holes in them. It is the Marthas of the world that do the meal planning for the week. It is the Marthas of the world that get stuff done. Without the Marthas, we would be in real trouble, especially in the local church. I've said this more than once. There are many churches in the world, 
And there are some big and some small. And I promise you this, no matter how big the church, it is an army of volunteers that makes that church a reality. Every time. And you could show up and you could see really impressive things. And the truth is, it's the volunteers who made that happen. It's the volunteers who are watching your kids. It's the volunteers that made sure the place was clean and made sure it gets cleaned after you leave. It's the volunteers that make sure there are cookies that are baked and lemonade or coffee for people in a non-pandemic world. It's the volunteers who make sure that the lights are on and that the air conditioning is working and that, honestly, the pastors get paid because they tithe because Martha's show up. It's the Martha's of the world that gets stuff done. That's a really important thing because there are people who show up to the church sometimes who don't really feel like participating in the church, who think of the church as an event or a building and not necessarily a group of people who are on God's mission in the world. And those people, they'll come, you know, as long as baseball season is over and basketball season is over and football season is over, you know, like when it's not a full moon and when it's not raining and when it, you know, I'm not feeling sick and when it's, you know, the night before I didn't stay up too late watching Netflix, when really there's nothing going on, when I, when it's, when I have nothing better to do, I'll totally come. And those kinds of people drive the Marthas of the world insane. <laughs> just, just insane. And like Martha's doing great in verse 38. And verse 39 happens where Mary is sitting and just kind of enjoying things. And it just snaps, right? Something happens in Martha and everything just goes horribly awry in the story. This wonderful generosity that begins the story just takes this really ugly turn. And you kind of wonder how it happens. How does that happen? How, how do we end up missing it when we started off so well? I think that's sort of how every Christmas season begins for a lot of us. We're kind of excited. Thanksgiving is over, and we think, this is fun, Christmas. And somewhere in the middle of it, the decorating starts to feel like a chore, and the having people over starts to become like a logistical nightmare, and going to people's houses is such a calendar issue, and getting all of the presents, you're thinking about what they got you last year, and whether you've gotten them this before, and whether it's going to get there in time, and whether it's good enough, and whether you've spent enough, and whether you're spending too much, and it's, all of a sudden, you're just, oh my gosh, Christmas is just this overwhelming, crazy thing, and, and it it's like we're missing it. We're there and we're in the middle of it and somehow we're missing it. Now, I'm not a very good cook, but I like to cook. And I'm not a very good host, but I like to have people over to my house. I'm very bad at doing both of those things at the same time. Awful, actually. And I will tell you that I'm amazed when people are good at it. Like when you can go to their house and they can make chicken and mashed potatoes and broccoli and cocktails and they all arrive at your table and everything's cold or hot the way it's supposed to be, amazing. You come to my house, you will get those things eventually. They won't happen at the same time, and they won't all be at the right temperature. The people who can do that and clean their house and like welcome you in and play games, and they're just unflappable, those people are amazing. Martha is one of those people. Hostess with the mostess, she's got it dialed in. She's confident that she can casually invite 13 people over to her first century kitchen for dinner. That's amazing. I don't know how you pull that. This is a world of no refrigerators or ovens or like clocks. How is she going to pull all this off? Martha is confident that people can come to her house, but for whatever reason, the stove's running hot, or there's just there's stuff that needed to be cleaned up, or there's something that she forgot to do, and all of a sudden she smells something burning, but somewhere in the middle of it all, she's anxious and stressed and pressured, and hair's in her face, and she's feeling sweaty, and she runs by the kitchen door, and there's just Mary just sitting there doing nothing, and it's just, it blows her freaking mind that anyone could just be sitting there doing nothing, and she comes up to Jesus, and she says, Lord, do you not care that she has abandoned me? To do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, that is a prayer. It's not the best kind. <laughs> but it is talking to Jesus about something in your life that bothers you. So it's still a prayer. But if you remove the word Lord from that sentence, it's not much of a prayer, is it? 
It's mostly just ordering Jesus around. Somehow, somewhere in the midst of doing something really, really great, Martha has begun to resent even Jesus because it's just too much to do. She missed it. Now, Mary doesn't want to miss it. She's got the God of the universe in her house. She's going to sit and listen. And she knows there's a lot that needs to get done. I don't know that she helps or doesn't help. I don't know that Mary would always be the right move to make in this situation. Again, it's good that the Marthas of the world work, right? And I think Mary probably helps for a bit, but then at some point just stops. There's plenty left to be done, and she stops. It takes incredible strength to rest. No one thinks that that's true. It takes incredible strength to rest. Don't just do something, sit there. Right? That's not how the expression goes. Don't just sit there, do something. Don't just do something, sit there. That is very difficult to do. In the Old Testament, there are a list of ten commandments, maybe the most fundamental things that God could put on a list. And on that list, there are things like don't murder somebody, don't have sex with somebody you're not married to, don't lie under oath, and by the way, take a day off. And that last one just feels like it doesn't fit the list, right? Sabbath is so strange that it would be included on a list of please don't, like, kill anybody. God takes this day very seriously. And we hear that and we're like, well, yeah, in the, in the old days, when they didn't have computers and vacuums, it was easier to rest. The truth is it wasn't. It was very, very difficult. This was an agricultural economy. If one day of the week you are taking a break, there is food rotting in your field. There is an animal somewhere in trouble and you are stuck at home resting. It drove these people crazy that God would say, there is a day of the week that you should take a break. Don't live like a slave. Create room, create emptiness and margin in your life so that God would fill it. Not just for no reason, but so that God might use that and do amazing things in and through you. Mary genuinely believes that by not helping, that by not serving, that by not solving a problem, she will, in a weird way, do exactly what Jesus wants her to do. That by sitting at the feet of Jesus, by letting him serve her and not the other way around, she will be in a better place to understand Jesus. This is really difficult for the Marthas of the world, or when the Martha inside you kind of riles up. Because there's this part of you that goes, well, I should do more things for Jesus rather than be with Jesus. That's never what God is calling us to do. When God is calling us to be with him, oftentimes he's calling us to be with him as we go out into the world and we serve and we do great work in the world. Our service is always the result of having spent time with God. That's where we get the energy and the power for it. If you don't spend time with Jesus, you can't love the world. If you don't spend time with Jesus, you probably won't love the world very much. That's where we get the energy and the strength and the power for that. Everyone I've ever respected who has followed Jesus in their life has a rhythm of prayer and worship and scripture time, always. They wake up early in the morning, some of them. Some of them can't wake up early in the morning, they do it at night. Some of them, neither one of those works, they do it at lunch break. Some of them, it's multiple times a day for very short periods of time. And we're not talking like hours, we're talking minutes, five minutes, 15, 30. Not a lot of time, but every day. People who sit with a guitar in their room. People who draw and sketch and talk to God while they do it. People who genuinely read a Bible and go, I want to sit and listen to your words. Because I genuinely want to follow Jesus. This is, I, I know that there's something in here that will give me life. We talk each week at Advent about peace and joy and hope and love, right? Those are the four weeks. Those are the four words. That's what's supposed to kind of be in this Christmas season for us. 
You know how that becomes true? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. That, that stops the Christmas season from being all about activity and, and being about a savior. It stops it really from getting lost in the forests, right? We, we, we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. You've heard that expression? Don't want to miss the big picture because we're so locked into all the details and all the tasks that need to be done. Mary has strength enough to say, if I don't rest, I won't be able to do what God wants me to do. I won't be able to serve Jesus if I don't sit with Jesus. I know social workers who say, I can't be a good social worker if I don't pray every day. The way I become a good social worker is by doing that. And some people will say, no, you need to be answering emails, you need to be waking up early, you need to be working your off hours. That's how you become an excellent social worker. They would say, no, this is gospel work, I've got to pray. I know second grade teachers who every day pray for their kids. Because they know when they go to school, they have to love those kids. And it's really hard to love those kids every day if they don't pray for those kids. I know, I absolutely know doctors who pray for their patients, dentists and dental assistants who pray for their patients. I know lawyers who pray for the person who they're fighting in court. Because they know that the work that they do ultimately is going to serve Jesus. And the only way it serves Jesus is if they sit with Jesus. Everybody's got a little Mary in them. That's a good thing. But the point in the story, really, is not to become more like Mary or less like Martha. It's to become more like Jesus. To get a little bit more Jesus in us. That's the point of the story. And Jesus has this kind of interesting interaction with Martha. And I, I like it. I, it actually reminds me a lot of probably what happens in other people's houses. Probably not yours or mine. But right around the holidays when somebody's not helping and you're helping or when you're not helping and somebody is. And all of a sudden there's this like, will you talk to her about doing this? Will you talk to him? About... This is called triangulation in the counseling world. It's when instead of talking to you, I talk to him about you. This is not healthy behavior. This is where all gossip, passive-aggressive manipulation starts. It doesn't matter what the thing is. It's always bad to say, I'm going to recruit you into this conversation. I can talk to you and tell you what's wrong with you or what I'm really frustrated with or what I think we need to work out. I really don't need to recruit this other person. But Jesus doesn't get mad at her for talking to him. So Jesus is actually willing to be brought into this conversation. And yet what he does is what Jesus often does when we pray. He never just gives us exactly what we want. Instead, he sees every opportunity as a discipleship moment. Oh, Martha, I'm not really going to talk about your sister, but I'd love to talk about you right now. Martha, Martha. He says her name twice. Martha, Martha, anxious and troubled about so many things. Those two words, anxious and troubled, extremely strong words in Greek. You are terrified. You are all riled up inside like a boat on the ocean in the middle of a storm. I like that he calls her by name twice. I think part of it's just to try and get her, Martha. Martha right? She's so frat, like I have to really get your attention. But I like that he calls her by name twice because I feel like there's two Marthas in the story. There's the Martha who really wanted to serve Jesus and is doing the best she can. And there's the Martha who in the midst of serving Jesus is being driven nuts by Jesus. Who's, who's somehow just gotten lost in the, in the weeds, who's lost in the trees and, and can't see the forest anymore. Just She's missed it. And, and this Martha is the one that Jesus is very interested in talking to because the truth is it all started with this Martha who tried to serve without sitting at the feet of Jesus first, who didn't get the power to, to do it in the first place. Martha, Martha, anxious and troubled about so many things. The Christmas season is anxiety-producing for many of us. You have to go sit with relatives who maybe drive you nuts. You have to go sit in uh, maybe work meetings with people who kind of bother you. You have to go to parties that maybe are really uncomfortable for you, especially in a pandemic. 
And we know, right, there are people in our world who are very, very afraid of a disease that is wreaking havoc on the globe. And you and I, as people who follow Jesus, we are not afraid. That is not to say we don't take the disease seriously. It's not to say we don't wear masks. It's not to say we don't listen to really good counsel. We have no desire to get sick or to die. It's just to say that we know a lot of people in the world who don't have any hope. And many of the people who are advising us when it comes to this disease do not have any hope in a resurrection. We believe that even if we die, we will not die. Martha, Martha, anxious and troubled about so many things. There's only one thing that matters. Only one thing that matters, and that's Jesus. Now, there's a double entendre here in the story. There's a decent chance that Jesus is saying, you're probably doing too much. My, you know, we're, you maybe didn't need to make as many things as you made. You maybe don't need to do as many things as you're doing. Maybe some of that stuff could just sit. We're, we were going to camp outside, like anything better than what we had. This is great. You know, we're, we're excited to have a roof. This is a good day. But he's also probably saying, not just maybe you're doing too many things. There's only one thing that matters. He's saying that the only thing that matters here is Jesus. The only thing that matters in the Christmas season is Jesus. The truth is, every year at Christmas, you and I should probably be stripping stuff out of our life and trying to get back to basics. Trying to get back to this God who loves us. Trying to get back to remembering that only one thing matters, that there is a God who came on earth and that changed everything, even time. We count this as A.D. and not B.C. anymore. Everything has changed, even the calendar. And every year we should probably try stripping stuff out of our life and get, getting back to some kind of emptiness or margin that God might fill if we could sit long enough with him even if just in the Christmas season, but hopefully for the rest of the year, so that the next year we don't have to strip as much stuff out. The goal isn't to become more like Mary or less like Martha. It's to become more like Jesus. And he says, look, Mary has chosen a really good thing, and no one's going to take that away from her. Or really, he says, it won't be taken away from her. But I think it's somewhat clear, actually, that Martha has taken it away from herself and that Mary could take it away from herself and you and I can take it away from ourselves. We've been given this amazing gift in Jesus Christ, and sometimes we take it away from ourselves. We end up missing what God has done and given us in our lives. Anybody here with Italian heritage? Cool. Do you know the story of La Bifana? Okay. Really interesting. Uh, it's an old piece of folklore. Maybe predates Santa in Italy. Tough to say. So very, very old. And La Bifana shows up around Christmas time, brings presents, has a broom. She's somewhere between a witch and a clown. This is the thing about other people's stories. Somewhere between a witch and a clown. Colorful painted face, witch, gnarly kind of nose. And, uh, you know, that's La Bifana. And La Bifana, the story goes, was around in the time of Jesus. La Bifana. She's been around since Palestine. She was living just outside, this Italian woman apparently, living just outside Bethlehem. And she was known for keeping a really clean house. La Bifana. The hostess with the mostest. She... She knew what she was doing, and her, her yard always looked good, and it, when you came over for a party, it was fantastic, and everything was in its place. If there was ancient Pinterest, and people were carving things in clay, it would definitely would have been her house and everything that was in there. She, was, she just knew what she was doing, La Bifana. And there's a day she's out sweeping, because, you know, dirt floors, it's pretty hard to keep a clean house. She's sweeping, and some people come to town, and, you know, it's, it's not yet, it's the afternoon, and they, they're really strangely dressed, and they're riding on camels and horses, and they clearly come from, they don't, they're, they're not from around here. And these people are from the east, and they speak with strange accents, and they're, they're talking to her about Bethlehem, and they're asking for directions, and she's not really paying attention, because all she can really see is the, the stains on their clothes from the travel, these rich clothes that look kind of dirty, animal hair kind of wafting toward her nice, clean house, and the dust and the grime on the boots. And they, they kind of, they break through it, and they, they say, ma'am, excuse me, do you know the way to Bethlehem? 
We have been following a star. There's someone who's been born, the king. The king of the Jews. You call him the Messiah. Do you know the way to Bethlehem? She looks out and she sees, sure enough, there's a star, even though the sun hasn't set, on the horizon, right over Bethlehem, clearly pointing to something. And she says, yeah, that's the way to Bethlehem, and this is the way the road goes. And they say, do you want to come with us? Do you want to see the king? And she thinks about it and says, I'll, I'll, follow, I'll follow you. I, I've got a lot more I have to get done. And so they go, and she keeps cleaning. And then a while later, she starts to regret the decision. She goes outside, she looks, and the star is gone. She missed it. So every year at Christmas, Labafana goes around with presents, riding on a broom, and delivering them to children, hoping that she will find the child that she missed. Now, that story is way better than the Santa Claus story, for one thing. <laughs> and tragic and beautiful, and you kind of go, oh my gosh, this is a, this is a really sweet amazing thing, and yet at the same time when you hear that, you can imagine every year children both being invited into the story and getting presents, and also hearing, don't miss it. This isn't about the presents. Don't miss it. It's not about all the food. Don't miss it. It's not about how we had to clean our house and invited a lot of people over. Don't miss it. It's not about all the lights you see on people's store. It's not, don't miss it. There's only one thing that matters, and it's Jesus. Don't miss it. Would you pray for me? Lord Jesus,